Okay, so huge privilege for me to be sharing to you out of Luke 5 today. Um, as Phil was going to say, but I stopped him because it was the first sentence in my notes. <laughs> We're in a series in Luke, and last week Phil spoke out of Luke 4, and he was talking about the new manifesto of the kingdom that Jesus brought, how Jesus came to bring good news, to release the prisoner, to heal the blind, to restore the broken. And today, following Luke 4, we're going to be looking at Luke 5. And if you are making notes, which maybe some of you do, um, if you want a title for this message, it will be this. An amazing invitation to spirit-enabled partnership. At the start of Luke 5, it says this. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. And as I have read through Luke 5 this week, there has been something in my heart that has wanted to crowd around the words of Jesus. Like this chapter is full of just the most astounding encounter moments. And I've been wanting to hear, just like there were these amazing encounter moments for the people in Luke, I've wanted amazing encounter moments myself where I see the words of Jesus as precious and having the power to change me. So I want to encourage you this morning, as I bring the word of God to us, to encourage you in your hearts to crowd around the words of Jesus. So I'm just going to stop and pray. As I pray, you, you, you might want to put your hands out as a sign that you want God to speak to you, or you might just want to just in your hearts, um, just open your heart to him, but I'm just going to pray. God, we, this morning we open our hearts to you. And we ask that you would speak to us. I pray that you would take what might be a very familiar story to many of us and bring it alive. We pray that you would teach us and change us today. Amen. So in the first half of Luke 5, there is this amazing miracle moment where Jesus invades the life of a fisherman's everyday activities with a miraculous catch of fish and a call for him no longer to catch fish but to catch men and then in the second half of Luke there are just these three beautiful encounters Jesus has with people where he heals and touches a leper where a paralyzed man is dropped through well not dropped literally (laughs) lowered is maybe a better word through a roof and healed by God and then there's the last story is where Jesus ends up partying eating with sinners tax collectors now i realized there was too much in luke 5 to preach in one morning so i'm going to be looking at the first half of luke 5 now and then on wednesday when we gather to pray at the 24 7 prayer room in rotterdam we're going to look at the second half and we're going to be looking at how that can shape us as we pray so let me start by setting the scene one second i'm going to see if i can just put this on full screen so i can see all of my notes much better let me sit the set the scene so as i said jesus is by a lake and there are crowds around him trying to hear what he's saying and over by the water jesus sees some tired probably smelly fishermen because fish don't smell great who had been out all night fishing and were now washing their nets so as jesus is teaching he sees their boats he sees two boats and he got in one of the boats belonging to Simon and he asked Simon to row out 
into the water so he can use his boat as a floating pulpit to continue preaching to the crowd. In the passage, it doesn't tell us what he said, but it tells us what happens after he's finished teaching. It says this. It says that when he'd finished preaching, he told Simon to go to the deep part of the water and put down a net for a catch. And at this point in verse 5, Simon says to Jesus that they had worked hard all night and had caught nothing, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So what happened? Some of you may be familiar with the story. Simon caught this massive amount of fish and it says the nets started to break so he signalled for backup, he signalled for the other boat. So the second boat came out and they caught so many fish that the boat started to sink so they had to go back into shore. And in the presence of this utter miracle, Simon says to Jesus, go away from me Lord, I am a sinful man. And in verse 10, verse 10 Jesus says back to him, don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people so they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him in this story we see jesus calling simon to give up his day job in his day job he would catch fish and kill them and now he was being called into a new partnership where he needed to catch men and offer them words of life it was an utter change in his job description. It wasn't a small tweak. And whilst Jesus doesn't necessarily call, of us, call all of us to give up our day jobs, he does, um, there is a call on us, if we are believers, to be fishers of men, to cast out the gospel message and to try and catch men's hearts. That is a call on all of us if we are a believer and a follower of Jesus. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, talking to followers of Jesus, it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And there is a call on us to love people, to love people, to offer words of life, to proclaim his excellencies. As a people who have been called from darkness into light, we are to be light bringers. But I think in this passage we see that he didn't just get a new job description. It was a call into a new partnership. Peter had partnered with his brothers, James and John, in a fishing business. But Jesus called him to leave that partnership and to partner with God in the family business of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And again, like Simon, we are called to join a whole team of partners around the world to proclaim the message of the gospel. In his book, Straight to the Heart of Luke, the theologian Phil Moore says this. He says, the miracle we see in this story is a call to partner with the Holy Spirit Working with his brothers, Peter didn't catch a single fish, but working with the Spirit, there was instant breakthrough. Now, last week, Phil looked at Luke 4 and reminded us that everything Jesus did was empowered by the Spirit. So if you've got your Bible in front of you, in Luke 4, in verse 1, it says this, Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert 
Then in verse 14, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Then in verse 18, it explains that the Spirit was upon him to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for blind, to set the oppressed free. And the call to Simon and the call to us to partner with God is one where we are to be full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered the Spirit to do the work of proclaiming the good news. I mean, like, let that sink in. Like, it's utterly amazing. What a total and utter privilege we have to partner with God in the work of being kingdom bringers, of proclaiming good news to the poor, that empowered by the Spirit, we get to partner with him. I mean, that, that alone is utterly amazing, isn't it? That God allows us to be empowered by the Spirit, to partner with him, to share the good news of the kingdom. We're going to spend the rest of our time today looking at the story in more detail and seeing what we can learn from Simon's response to Jesus' instructions. And I want to draw out four things we see Simon doing in his encounter with God. So they're, they're up here on the board behind me. So we see him obeying. We see him trusting. We see him recognising and we see him surrendering. So we're just going to go through those four words for the rest of this message today. In verse 4 and 5, it says of Jesus, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And I've, as I've already said, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. In the book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, Kenneth Bailey explains that fishermen in this lake fished at night because that's when the fish were feeding. You didn't fish in the day because that's when the fish hid under stones. Not only that, but you didn't fish in the middle of the lake. You fished around the edges because around the edges were streams and inlets, which meant the water was full of oxygen and that's where the fish fed. So this inland carpenter, Jesus, was given instructions to an experienced fisherman that were humanly, utterly crazy. They made absolutely no logical sense. But Jesus' instruction did come with a promise. It said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, sometimes God may ask you to do something which to your mind makes no logical sense and in that moment like Peter Simon Peter he is asking for your trust and your obedience some of you might be familiar with the verse in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25 where it says for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness is God is stronger than human strength so he knows more about the thing you know most about if you are an expert in something it doesn't even touch what God knows. He can be trusted. <laughs> and I, although he is looking for our obedience, he is okay with our questions. We see that all through the Psalms, people question, asking God questions. But even in here, before putting the nets in, Simon Peter asks a question. He says, Master, we've worked all night and we haven't caught anything. It's like he's saying, really, Jesus? Is this what you want me to do? Like, we've just done this all night. We didn't catch anything. And now, when there's, the fish are all sleeping and hiding, you want us to fish? 
Last year, um, Phil and I were sitting by the lake near our house and um, with a coffee and with our dog. And there was a lady sitting further down on like the, the jetty bit we were sitting on. And I just kept sensing God say to me, go and speak to her. And I, I had questions. <laughs> I was like, I don't know this lady. It, it didn't make sense to me. But I stepped and I obeyed and I found some excuse to start a conversation. And it turned out this lady that week had just lost her sister. And we listened to her and Phil offered to pray for her and we prayed with her. But sometimes what God is asking us to do doesn't seem to make any logical sense. But he is call, he's calling us to, to be obedient. As I was reading this, I was thinking how Simon was likely exhausted. He'd worked all night and to really kind of put the nail in the coffin... They hadn't caught anything, but he still had to wash the nets. I mean, that must be so irritating, mustn't it? And then Kenneth Bailey says he'd likely had to, while Jesus was preaching, he'd likely had to keep rowing so that the boat stayed in one place so he could preach to the crowds. So perhaps he was tired. Perhaps he was at the end of himself. And at this point, Jesus says, let's go again. Let's, let's go out further. And I think what Jesus is saying sometimes in, when we find the end of ourselves He's saying, let me step in. When you get to the end of yourself, find me. Find that I'm good and I'm faithful. Most of you in the room will know that two years ago, Phil and I and our family, or some of our family, moved to the Netherlands. Previously, we'd lived in London, and we'd left a church that we'd been in for 25 years. Our journey of moving, logically and humanly, made no sense. We both had jobs we had to leave. Phil had been involved in leading a church which had about 1,500 people in it. And we were moving here to a possible 10, and that's if you include both of us and our dog. <laughs> we, we split our family. Two of our kids came with us. Our older two kids stayed in the UK. That's not... We wouldn't do that by choice. <laughs> We'd been told time and time again, if you plant a church, the teenage years aren't the best time to do it. I suppose because there's not often a youth group, and we had two teenagers. We moved at a time when our parents are elderly and we wanted to be closer, not further away. The move meant a very significant drop in income, not to mention the fact we moved without a visa. Our visa was still in process, but we had to come because our boys needed to start school. There was lots about it that did not make sense to my mind. And there were lots of times of asking questions. And at times, I was at the end of myself and my resilience to keep living in the not knowing. But God spoke and we needed to let his voice trump our voice. And we needed to let his wisdom trump our wisdom, his faithfulness trump our questions. And when I was at the end of myself, there was space for him to step in with his faithfulness. And like Simon, I found him to be faithful. Simon obeyed Jesus' instruction to let down the net. And I want us to look at the place of trust in this action of obedience, because I think it's really significant for all of us. When Jesus said, put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch, there are two sentences which we can read over very quickly, but I think there's something quite remarkable in them, and that is trust. Peter, like I've already said, was told to do something that made logical, it was logical nonsense. And at times in our journeys of following Jesus, we don't know what's going on. We don't know why things are happening. Things don't fit with our plan, our logic of how things would work. 
They don't fit with our wisdom and our worldly perspectives and we have questions. Why is it like this? And I think in those moments we find ourselves in what I've called the gap. I'm not talking about the clothes shop. Um, <laughs> but I'm talking about the gap between what we are seeing and experiencing and the promises of God we know to be true. It may be that you're sick, but you know he's a healer. You might be needing breakthrough in a situation where you need him to, to know the promise that he is your provider. You might feel utterly broken by things that happen in your life, but you know he is the restorer. And living in that gap is a really hard place to be, but I think we have a choice in the gap of what we fill the gap with. I think we can fill it with our own voice and our own reasoning, allowing our voice to be louder than his. I think we can fill the gap with concern about what others may think. I'm sure, I was just thinking about Simon Peter. He's asked to row out into the deep bits and let down the nets. Maybe he had a concern about what other people might have been thinking in that moment because it wasn't a very wise thing to do. Do we allow what others think to trump God's voice and his call? Do we let the grip of anxiety hold us in fear in our place of not knowing? Or do we, like Simon, step proactively into a place where we trust God's promise trumps our thoughts, our concerns, our fears, where our thoughts and concerns and fears are silenced and his promises roar? Simon positioned his question under Jesus' promise. He filled the gap with trust and he stepped into following Jesus' instruction. And as he stepped, he saw that God was a God of promise and he saw God's provision. Like I've already said, on our journey of moving to the Netherlands, it involved a very, very long time of living in the gap. We had a two-year period of deciding to leave and asking God where he wanted us to be. It was a long moment of, an, of living in the gap. And my heart did lean at times towards anxiety, and I had a choice in those moments to lean into his promise that my feet are on a rock, that he is a firm foundation, that he is Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider. And what I found is in the gap, there is real treasure to be found. So I just want to tell you two treasures I found in the gap. There's a very beautiful song by a singer-songwriter called Lauren Daigle. And she says this in the end of one of the chorus. Oh, peace be still. You are here, so it is well. Even when my eyes can't see, I will trust the voice that speaks. I think the gap is a place where we can learn to trust the voice that speaks. Where, our, Like I've said, where our own questions, our own anxieties can be stilled because we're trusting in his voice. And in our not seeing and our not knowing and our not understanding, we trust his voice. I think as well in the gap, we, when we're at the end of ourself, we find there's space for him to step in and prove himself to be faithful. Rather than trying to be the solution to our own problems, there's space for him to reveal his power, his love, his kindness, his provision. And trusting God in the gap isn't a one-off moment. It's part of a Christian life of living by faith. Like we sang, didn't we, my guardian, I'll walk by faith and not by sight. That's what it means to live in the gap, putting our trust in him. That's obey. 
and trust. Let's look at recognize. After this miracle, it says that Simon Peter fell on his knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. I think if you think about it, that's quite an unusual response to a totally miraculous catch of fish. I mean, I would picture they'd be high-fiving. Yeah, go Jesus, look how many fish we caught. I mean, fish were money, weren't they? They could sell the fish. It was like amazing. God had just done this amazing miracle. But yeah, you see Simon Peter falling on his knees. I think this is a less surprising response when we grasp what Peter grasped in this moment. In verse 5, Peter addresses Jesus as apistates, meaning master. But now, in this moment, he addresses him as kurios, the Greek word for Lord. He recognises that Jesus is holy and he is a sinner. And he got that part right. Jesus was and is Lord and he was a sinner. But there is also a bit he failed to understand. And I really felt God wanted to speak to many in the room today about this very thing. He says, go away from me, Lord, for for I am a sinful man. Because he thinks the unclean will defile the clean. That he will defile Jesus. Which is funny because Peter knew that you catch fish before you clean them. But in this situation, he hadn't grasped that actually God wanted to catch him, to call him, and then he would clean him. And I think many of us get caught up in this way of thinking, am I clean enough to come? Am I good enough to be called? Do I pray enough to be used by God? And I feel like God wants to remind us today, we are caught and called And then God starts the most gracious job of cleaning us up. Contact with Jesus was the very thing Simon needed for his cleansing. And it's interesting because the stories after go on to show that, where Jesus touches a leper, where he's partying with sinners and and the Pharisees are saying to him, why are you doing this? And he replies, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I mean, how amazing. So if you think today you're too dirty, you're too sick because of the way you live or behave, or you think you're too scarred and stained from past mistakes to come to him, I feel today Jesus wants you to recognise him as the one who says, come to the great physician. He doesn't say clean yourself up and then come. He says, come Let me clean you. Let me restore you. Let me work in you. He does a beautiful work of fixing and healing and making us whole. And if you are aware, like Simon Peter, of the great chasm between your sin and his holiness, that isn't a place of guilt and shame. That is a place of acceptance because Jesus has already paid the price to bridge that gap That chasm is a place for worship and adoration for what Jesus has done on the cross. That is the the place. So don't let the sin and shame that you might live with or have lived with or the stains make you withdraw. Come in gratitude and surrender to the one who has made a way for you to come and sees you as clean because you, have, you are dressed in the robes of Jesus, of righteousness. So far we've seen that Peter trusted Jesus, he obeyed his instruction, he'd seen who he was as Lord. 
And what we see next is a place of utter surrender, a, a place of a change in priorities. There were two whole boats filled with fish. I mean, Jesus had literally won the fish lottery. And there, like I've already said, there was money in the fish business. But it, Jesus doesn't want it. He was far more concerned with the wealth there was in winning human souls. And I think in this moment, Simon Peter reprioritizes what is important. Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. For now you will fish for people. So Peter chooses to leave the fish and follow Jesus. He realized that there is something far greater and has decided to surrender to God. And for us, if we are followers of Jesus, the, the life of a follower, follower is not a one-off moment of obedience and trust and surrender. It's not a one-off moment. We don't invite a consultant in just to advise us on some issues. We invite a king to rule in the kingdom of our lives. And when there is a new king in the throne in your heart, there is a call to follow him, to obey him, to surrender to him. As we close, I just want to, just two other very quick things, which I just felt I just wanted to bring out of this passage. It's interesting that Jesus isolates Peter away from other people, away from peer pressure before he talks to him. And then a few verses later, it says Jesus withdrew to pray. And I think there is a place where God speaks to us when we are alone with him. It's great to worship together. It's great to be together and hear his voice. But I think there is a place of getting alone with Jesus where he wants to speak to us. So this week, as part of the week of prayer, we want to encourage all of you to find a time where you can be alone with Jesus. It might be going for a walk in nature. It might be your house is empty and you can do it there. I can't do it in my house. I'm too distracted. It might be you book an hour at the 24-7 prayer room in Rotterdam and go, Jesus, I just want time with you. But we want to encourage all of you this week to get some time alone with Jesus to allow him to speak to you. But I think one of the just absolutely beautiful and outstanding things about this passage is that this amazing encounter happened to an ordinary person, a fisherman, who was doing his ordinary everyday job. When talking about this encounter, Phil Moore says this, Jesus is looking for ordinary people with whom he can share his own experience of God's extraordinary power. Let me read that to you again. Jesus is looking for ordinary people with whom he can share his own experience of God's extraordinary power. So I want to encourage you that God can step into your familiar surroundings and use them for life-transforming encounter. Jesus steps into Peter's story and calls him to step into his story. And that's what he does for us. He steps in to your story, Alina, to your story, Mark, to your story, Cindy, to your story, Bill. He steps into your story to call you into his story. He calls you to, to partner with him, empowered by the Spirit, to be fishers of men. I'm going to finish there, just hand over to Phil.